leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards in stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Paroxysomal disorders are a group of rare and heterogeneous metabolic diseases. Earlier this year, the National Organization of Rare Disorders selected the Global Foundation for Paroxysomal Disorders as one of 20 rare disease groups to undertake a natural history study with support from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. We spoke to Melissa Bryce Gamble, president and co-founder of the Global Foundation for Paroxysomal Disorders, about the natural history study, why such studies are critical for expanding the understanding of a rare disease, how they help inform the development of therapies. David, thanks for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me on your program today. We're going to talk about a recent piece you authored in The Hill, how drug pricing works and the role pharmacy benefit managers or PBMs play. Let's start with PBMs, which some of our listeners may not be familiar with. What are PBMs and and how do they fit into the pharmaceutical supply chain? Well, you're all probably familiar with PBMs because you have a drug prescription card that your insurance company gives you. Um, But, you know, and, and what a PBM does is very similar to what Visa and MasterCard and what the debit card networks do. They move information and money, um, and they create networks. Uh, but unlike the debit card and credit card networks, PBMs make a phenomenal amount of money, um, you know, and that's a good deal of the problem of the role that PBMs play in the market. There's been a lot of controversy lately over the recent sharp increase in price to Mylan's EpiPen. In, in the case of a product such as EpiPen, how do the economics work? How, how do the retail price get cut up between the pharmacy, the PBM, and, and the drug maker? Well, I think it's a really important question. But step back a second. We, in a free market system, we want people to be paid based on the value that they provide. Um, that's the way you create the proper economic incentive. You provide a great deal of value, you should be well reimbursed. Pharmaceutical manufacturer goes and engages in extensive research and development, um, markets, creates a product, markets a product, you know, for a appropriate period of time, they deserve, um, you know, they deserve the appropriate profit for creating that product. Um, a pharmacy, um, and a pharmacist is the most accessible um, healthcare professional for you, a pharmacist goes and purchases the drug. Um, 
he um, provides you advice. He monitors your health care. He provides a wide variety of, of service for you. The PBM, all the PBM is basically doing is forming networks um, and then transferring information and money. So let's look at where the money is going. And if you use the EpiPen example, I think the EpiPen example uh, might be a bit unusual, but according to Mylan in the EpiPen example, of this $600 price that uh, uh, for the drug, they're getting less than $300, and more of that money is going to, you know, over $300 is going to the pharmacy benefit manager, and the, you know, the pharmacist is probably earning something like 4% or $24. So step back a second. Who's providing service? Who's creating product? Well, you know, the person who's, you know, just the middleman, just providing the small service of moving information and money, is the one who profits more than anyone else. That doesn't really make sense, and that's not the way a distribution system should work. Our healthcare system in general has suffered from perverse incentives that have the effect of driving costs higher. This has been part of the rationale in trying to move from paying for procedures to paying for value. In the case of drugs, are there perverse incentives at work with the world of PBMs? Well, of course. Now, the PBMs make money by basically sitting down and negotiating with pharmaceutical manufacturers. And they say, if you want me to include your drug in your network, what are you going to give me? What rebate are you going to provide me? So um, it's a rebate off the price of the drug. And so PBMs actually want more expensive drugs in some instances because they can get higher rebates. That's the exact wrong way for the system to work. There's been a, a significant consolidation of PBMs. This greater concentration of power to negotiate has often been portrayed as a positive force to rein in drug pricing. What's the reality? Well, you know, look, if there are aspects in which having a group purchaser really makes sense, and aggregating bargaining power makes sense. Yeah, that's an important condition. If there's transparency and choice, you have buyer, you know, in one of these arrangements really needs transparency. So he knows what kind of rebates the PBM is securing. And they also need choice. They need to be able to play PBMs off against each other. And in both of those respects, PBM market receives a failing grade. Um, there's very little, you know, they, market is dominated by three large PBMs, and the PBMs absolutely refuse to provide uh, rebate information to buyers. Buyers don't have that rebate information. They're not in a position to bargain to get the benefits of those negotiating arrangements. David, you previously served as policy director for the Federal Trade Commission. The FTC has taken a fairly hands-off approach to PBMs, which are largely unregulated at the federal level. Why is that, and what's been the consequence? You know, I think the FCC has taken a myopic view here. First of all, they said, oh, entry is easy in the PBM market. But the reality shows that entry is really difficult. It may not be difficult to put a sign outside your store or your building saying, I'm a PBM. But what's difficult is getting the significant rebate. There are substantial economies of scale. So new entrants really can't secure those rebates and can't really be a, be a competitive force. In addition, the, PB, the FTC, I think, to a large extent, has accepted 
at face value the idea that that bargaining power by PBMs is good and, um, you know, hasn't examined carefully the extent that that bargaining power really results in lower prices to consumers. You've talked about the need for three things for a, a market to work effectively, choice, transparency, and a lack of conflicts of interest. I thought we could walk through each of those as they pertain to PBMs. Let's start with choice. With the consolidation that's taken place, how much choice is there in the marketplace? Um, not really a great deal. The market is dominated by two or three PBMs, certainly CBS Caremark, and its spread scripts mid are far larger than the others. Optum is seen as being potentially in the big three. But if you're a large employer and you've got, you know, very significant mind, you know, you've got lots of employees across the nation, you know, you're really going to rely on these two PBMs. Um, and so that is not a great deal of choice. By the way, the FTC failed to sue in the Express Scripts Medco merger. If you go and look at the facts in Express Scripts Medco, the market shares, the entry barriers, things like that, and you compare it to the Anthem Signa merger, in which the Department of Justice just recently sued, you know, you get the feeling that if DOJ were to look at the Express Scripts merger today, DOJ would have reached a really different result than the FTC reached. What about transparency? Well, here's the problem. You know, they're in the business of using bargaining power to get better rebates, but they won't disclose those to employers. Now, there are extremely large, sophisticated employers who can put staff to work to go and try to determine what those rebates are. That is a costly and time-consuming process. But if you're a more moderate-sized employer or a small employer, you don't have that kind of resources. You can't police the PBL. And this is really an area, because of the conflicts of interest and lack of transparency, you really do need to police the PBL. I just said that the large employers perhaps have the resources to police PBL. But even those large employers, when they come to questions of whether or not PBMs should be regulated to provide greater transparency, those large employers have weighed in and said, yes, regulation is necessary. So even the people who can protect themselves say this is a market in which regulation is necessary. Yeah, how, how about the issue of conflicts? I take it there, there are PBMs that own their own pharmacies? Yeah, now look at this. You know, what we want, what we want from a PBM is we want an honest cop. We want somebody who goes up to the pharmaceutical manufacturers and says, you know, give me your best price, give me the highest rebate, and goes to the pharmacies and says, you know, you know, give me your lowest reimbursement rate. So, so long as they're not involved in another segment of the market, everybody's interests are aligned. But what happens when a PBM is owned by a pharmaceutical manufacturer or owns its own pharmacy? Its incentives are different. It doesn't want the lowest reimbursement rate from a pharmacy if it owns its own pharmacy. It wants to drive that pharmacy out of business, even if the pharmacy provides better service or is more efficient than the PBM's own pharmacy. So that's why you see PBMs going and forcing consumers to use the PBM's own pharmacies. This is especially a problem in specialty drugs where you really want the independent pharmacist to help advise you 
about what's the appropriate drug to be used. Um, you know, not a PBM that has an interest in, you know, sort of forcing you to its own specialty pharmacy. You mentioned the hands-off approach the FTC took in the case of the Medco Express Scripts merger. Has there been a failure on the part of the FTC? Is there any chance that we'll see a change in the approach the FTC has taken here? Well, there's going to be a new administration starting next year, and hopefully that new administration will take a more aggressive look. But again, if you compare the facts here to the facts that the Justice Department looked at in the insurance mergers, you know, um, DOJ would have sued um, in these PBM mergers. You know, I think DOJ is less solicitous than the FTC was of arguments that greater buying power is a, you know, is, is crucial, regardless of whether or not that greater buying power leads to lower prices for consumers. DOJ has taken a more uh, skeptical look, and that hopefully the next time the FTC looks at a PBM issue, will follow the lead of the of the DOJ. In the absence of federal activity, have have the states done things to counter this at all? Yes, for um, many years, the state attorney generals were the leading enforcers involving PBM, and um, state legislatures do a lot in terms of requiring things like transparency to try to regulate. What's the likelihood of seeing federal legislation to to address issues like? Transparency. I hope, you know, I certainly hope that there will be greater attention to PBM, um, you know, in the next Congress. Uh, and is there any legislation pending at this point? There are some moderate, modest bills, but um, um, mostly in terms of PBM practices, need to be pharmacy. But um, I don't know anything about how those are. So, as there's an increasing scrutiny and pressure on drug pricing, do you expect policymakers to start taking a broader look at this issue? Well, hopefully, yes. They should be looking at every segment of the distribution system. Um, drugs are very expensive. And in this case, what we're saying is, you know, um, something as simple as transferring money and information is costing a phenomenal amount of money. Look, you walk into a drugstore and you buy um you know, if you buy EpiPen for $600, the PBM gets $300 for doing that transaction. If you walk into the other side of the store and you buy a TV set for $600, these are MasterCard, get $12 for handling that transaction. It's just moving money and information. Why should, you know, it be so phenomenally expensive for to conduct this transaction? David Balto, antitrust attorney and former policy director at the FTC. David, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, um, and uh, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.